Hey, it's Mario Lopez, and on this episode of Listen to Mario, I'm going to be sitting down with Lilo Brancato, who's the star of one of my favorite films of all time, Bronx Tale. Anytime that is on TV, even though I've seen it a hundred times, I will leave it on and sort of base the philosophy of raising my son <laughs> a lot on this movie, because it's, it's really the tale about two dads and the relationship with this young guy and about wasted talent, and ironically... His life, well, it was wasted, and uh, the kid had talent, and I'm just fascinated by everything he's gone through. He's got a fascinating story, so let's get to it. Listen to Mario! Lilo, welcome, man. Thank you for having me, bro. I appreciate it. I was trying to think of the first time, I don't know if you remember, but I remember when we met, and I believe I was doing Circus of the Stars, believe it or not. You used to hang out with a kid named Henry Penzi. Yeah, I don't know if actually, you remember that. Yeah, of course. Do you remember yeah. that name? Just spoke to Henry the other day. Are you serious? He's still around? Yeah, he's I haven't still talked around. to that guy in years. Wow. Yeah. I remember this vividly. It was around 93, 94, something like that. And because I'm, you know, how often are you doing trapeze? And Bronx Tale is one of my all time favorite movies. Still is. So I was like, oh, there's the kid. And I was very excited to meet you. And then I think we had some other mutual friends. And our paths didn't cross um, too much, but I knew we knew some of the same uh, 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 mutual people. Yeah, you Matt, know? Matt Blancett. Matt Blancett, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Matt, yeah, exactly, who yeah. actually is from my neighborhood Yes, uh, growing up. So yeah, I knew that's another one. Yeah, thank you for my, I was trying to think of the first time. So yeah, man, it's, it really is a small world, but you're you're from New York. Uh, you were adopted, right? Yes, that's you're correct. Type, and uh, parents are actually Latino, right? Colombian? Well, I'm Colombian. Right. I was born in Bogota. My, yeah. my birth name was Saul Rodriguez. Saul Rodriguez. Can't yes. get more Latino than that. Yeah. Wow. Um, then I was adopted by, uh, you know, Italian immigrants. My dad was Sicilian. My mom's Calabrese. Um, bought here, you know, Yonkers, New York. And that's where I grew up. Did they adopt you from Colombia? Yes, they did. Really? Were yes. they traveling or? No, well, my mom, my mom had a, a, a miscarriage. She would have had a son that would have been about three, four years older than me. And if that would have happened, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Um, didn't think they, she could have kids and then was looking to adopt and said that she looked at pictures of all different babies from all over. And she said when she saw me, she said, that's the baby that I want. Look at that, man. And then uh, come to find out, she was pregnant with my brother, Vincent, while everything was going through. Wow. So Yeah, when you're not trying, sometimes it just right. sort of, yeah. It's very psychological. And then my mom was pregnant, so she didn't want to travel to come get me. My Uncle Frank, my mother's brother, he came to Columbia, Avianca Airlines. Yeah. And he came to get me. It's a hell of a commute. Yeah, from 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 the orphanage. Yeah, and uh, my first day here was uh, January first, nineteen seventy seven. Wow, and you were yeah. how old? I was four months. Wow, yeah, brand new. Yeah, a little baby. Brand new. Yep. Did you ever have any desire to track down your biological parents? You know, my parents. You know, my my dad passed away in June. He was only seventy years old. Um, but he was he was like the best guy. Not because he's my father. He was the hardest working guy. Anybody yeah. ever met me? Oh, you Lilo's son. Wow, I never saw anybody work like that guy. But I was like, you know, stand up, great guy. And uh, you know, my mom's very you know great person. Also, my parents are just beautiful people. And I always thought that if I did do that, it kind of would offend them. Like because it's like, them in a yeah, way. Yeah, like yeah. why would you want to go look when you have right. us here and we've done everything for you? No, no, that's cool. No, I just, you know, out of curious, I guess anyone would be curious, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, or you don't know the circumstances but, between you know, mom and dad I don't know what that. I could, you know, the, what, what I'm predisposed right. to genetically. So this is one reason why maybe, you know, I would want to do that just right. to see if certain things can run and, you know, 
me genetically, my family, you know what I mean? Yeah, now so, with uh, the whole, uh, the DNA, the, the genealogy thing, right. I guess you can. It might be a little bit easier, right? Right, absolutely. That's fat. Okay, so you're, now you're in uh, you're in New York. You're right, Yonkers? Yonkers, New York. Yonkers, New York. Which it's is, right near the Bronx. It's right near the Bronx, okay. It's 20 minutes from New York City. Okay, and, and how far outside of, uh, oh, 20 minutes, you just yeah. said. So you're there and you're growing up and you're just, you know, a normal kid going to school, not necessarily getting into theater or uh, uh, any aspirations to be in the entertainment business at the moment, no, right? No, I was just, a, you know, a, you know, kid, uh, you know, blue collar family, yeah. you know, just growing up in Yonkers, um, going to school. I just finished 10th grade. Now, I had heard about, you know, a Bronx tale and I heard that they were looking, you know, doing open call auditions. My cousin read for the part. They were going to schools and yeah. just all over. And, uh, you know, you hear, you know, oh, I remember this one kid. And his, believe it or not, his, his, his name was Jerry Petraglia. His family won the lotto, believe it or not. Literally won yeah, the lotto? They won, they won $16.6 back in the 80s. Oh, what's a lot right now? <laughs> right, so, you know. <laughs> it's life-changing. <laughs> so, I mean, just the things you hear. Like, you know, I heard that they were going to use Jerry's aunt's store in the movie. So, Jerry's going to play De Niro's son. Yeah. And all these, like, different... Because they're going to use his aunt's store in the movie. Right. You know? <laughs> it's so, a stretch. Yeah, so... After hearing that, I must... You know, I'm like, you could just imagine how many kids read for the par. And it kind of, like, discouraged me. So, I never went right. forward. Um... And then I was on the beach, July 5th, 1992. So that is a true story. Yeah, that's, on, that's a true story. Literally hanging out on the beach. Which yeah. beach? Jones Beach. Okay. Se section four. And uh, I was in the water. And, um, you know, we just play finished playing soccer with these Colombian guys on the beach. Coincidentally. And I wanted to cool off in the water. And I hear my brother screaming my name, Lee, Lee. So I come out of the water. He what did he like, call you? Lee. 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 Yeah, Lee. So he calls me out and he says... Uh, you know, remember that movie we heard about, the De Niro movie? He's, this is the guy. You know, I told him about you. And when the guy saw me, he was like, wow, he does look like, he, you know, De Niro's son. Started asking me some questions and wanted me to uh, go read for the part. The Belmont Playhouse in the Bronx. And how old are you right now? I was 15, going to be 16. I turned 16 in August. I was still 15. Okay. So I went to read for the part later on that night. Never looked at anything in screenplay forms. Just, you know, I just... Yeah. What can I, I got nothing to lose. Yeah, no if, theater, nothing. Nothing. I just went in, read the part, and the guy's name is Marco Greco, the scout who discovered me on the beach. Yeah. And he gave me the scene. He gave me the scene uh, when I was shaving. Well, in the original script, De Niro shaving. You know, when I yes. asked him about, yes, you know, the color girl, the colors, and what exactly. do you think about that? Exactly. That was the scene. You had scene. a friend. You were asking for a friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the scene. And he said, read the scene, learn it, and, you know, I'll come back in a few minutes and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do it. Did you memorize it? or? Yeah. I went, we did it, and, you know, just, I remembered, like, just, when I first looked at it, it just made sense to me. Interior bathroom, night, hello, Jerome, blah, 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 blah. I just knew what to do. It just was easy. It came very natural. Yeah, it came natural. So you weren't necessarily doing impressions on the beach. Well, I did that as well. You yeah, did yeah. do that. You yeah, did that I did, for the you guys know, the well. upside down, you know, De Niro. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. I was doing the taxi, you know, stuff like talking to me, you know, dumb, you know Right, right, stuff right, like sure. That. <laughs> stuff we all do. So, well, I mean, I figured this is my shot, so, right. I, you know, if I ever, you know. So the guy, we read the scene. The guy was like, wow, that was the best anyone ever read it. He was like, that was great. And then, you know, we got into uh, that I am my father Sicilian. And the, the, the saint, because in Italy, you got these little towns. They have like patron saints. Right. And uh, the saint from my father's town was Calogero, San Calogero. My father went to a reform school. It was San Calo, San Calogero. So this was like, this was like meant to be. Like when I'm hearing all this, I'm like, yeah, so... And we got into that, and he said, do you speak Italian? And I said, yeah, I do. You know, I mean, just to play around with certain sure. things. So we started speaking to him in the Sicilian dialect, and he liked it. And we exchanged numbers, and he told me that he would uh, 
He said he'll reach out in a few days. Oh, he told me to call him in a few days. We'll tell you how you did. And I was working at a law office. My father was a builder. So, you know, we had the lawyer who used to do the closings. This guy, Corey, I used to work for him. It was my summer job, filing, you know, yeah. people's secretaries. And I'm just sitting there, right. 15 years old. I was, paid like, I was getting paid like $9.50 an hour. It's great for a kid, yeah. 1992? You kidding? You know? So uh, I went home after work, and uh, I got the call. And they said, it's, you know, looking for Lilo Broncado. And, like, my dad was a builder and did, you know, uh, extensions like, what do you, what do you on homes. Do? No, 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 no. I thought it was somebody calling for my dad. <laughs> oh, God, got it, got it, got it. Maybe right. him to go look at a job and give him a yeah. job estimate, and, you know. And uh, I said, you want to talk to my dad? I said, oh, and she said, no, 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 we want to speak. Are you Lilo? Said, yeah, we want to speak to you. Um, you know, we're so-and-so, you know. So and so a casting, we saw your tape, we loved it. We want you to come down and read. And, you know, then I went down, my father, my uncle, and when I first went down, I was overwhelmed. It was like literally it was like sixty kids in a room. Yeah. So I got a call back. Did you get intimidated back. by that? Yeah, I did. I did. That's a scary I never feeling. did this. You got yeah. kids like in the corner, like reading their lines. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Talking to the wall. Like, right. These are real actors, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what's going on? That's intimidating. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, these these are real actors. And um I got the call back in the next day. And as the days went by and I kept getting called back, it was less and less guys. Right. No and picture, no resume. I mean, you just this is common right sense. Yeah, I must yeah. be doing the right, you know, there's less than I'm still here, you know? Yeah. So then eventually I met the hero. They, you know, they said, we're going to go upstairs and meet Bob. That, that, how many times did you go back at that point? You had what, three, four callbacks? No, it was about two weeks. Okay. They had me work with different acting coaches. I remember one lady, she wanted me to just literally scream, run back and forth in a room. Ah! Screaming, right. running back and yeah. like, yeah, I guess to on? get it all out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could do that, you could do everything else. You right. Know? So she had me doing this. I met De Niro, and, uh, you know, he's not a man of many words. He'll make yeah. like 20 faces before he says one word. T tell me about, tell me about, <laughs> tell me about, so you walk in a room. Right. And he's, and he's got his back to me. Chaz is sitting like there. Yeah. And I come in from back there so I could see Chaz, and I had met him already. You had already met he'd him. He'd be walking around the building. Got it. And he knew I was the guy that was, you know, getting the callbacks and he had, obviously they were watching tapes and stuff right. like that. And he said, let me know I'm doing a great job. So when they said, we're going to go upstairs to meet Bob, I didn't know it was Robert De Niro. Yeah, like, Cause Bob? everyone was a first name basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, Barbara, you know, so I said, we're going to go meet Bob. So he's sitting down and they said, Lilo, you know, uh, I mean, Bob Lilo's here to see you. So now he turns around and then I look and he had just finished that film, Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, I remember that. And he had that, like, reddish hair. Yeah, yeah. That's what he looked like. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? He had the Mad Dog and Glory hair, right? right? right. So I'm like, look at that. Like, and I remember he turned around, and he just comes up to me. You're doing a very good job. And he's just, you know, so, I mean, this that was intimidating, you know what I mean? Yeah. Talking to Robert De Niro, and then uh, just, you know, we... Did you read with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What scene? Uh, I don't remember. But one thing he was most concerned about, the the, the whole dynamic between the girl and I for him that was the most important because yeah. that That's, struck a chord with him right, in real that, life right yeah that had to work hmm. more than anything else really even we before did even, more yeah we wow. did more of that than the, with the kids and my friends and even scenes with him and I and Sonny me with the girl is where he stressed the most and Jane his, Jane and I mean originally the kid who shot Sonny at the end of the movie yeah he was supposed to play uh, C when he was 21, it would have been a different movie. Yeah, yeah. So now they got these girls coming in. Like, I'm kissing girl after girl after girl. And you got some hot chicks. Like, yeah, trust yeah, me, yeah. I'm 15 years old. And you got these girls, 22, 20, voluptuous, curvy girls. Right, right, one right. After the other. I got, I'm like, yeah, I'm five foot six. You know what I mean? Yeah, she was tall too. Yeah, yeah. Jane. So yeah, like, yeah. they got one after the other. You know, it's like. Yeah. And then when we, when that girl came in, Terrell Hicks, 
Yeah. We, I, I, I mean, I thought she was great. But as soon as she left the room, Robert De Niro, no. He got right up and he came up to me. and goes, what do you think? Because she was just like, a lot of these girls are nervous and was shy, yeah. but she wasn't. When I said, my name is Calogero, she goes, Kahu? Just the way she said it. Yeah. That's what he loved. Yeah. And just that got that girl that role. Look at that. And she was very talented, you know? And then after a little bit more of that, De Niro one day said to me, he said, we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, uh, tomorrow I want you to dress like you're going to church. Dress slacks. We're going to do a screen test. We're going to put you on film. And I didn't know the importance. I just did what he told me to do. I yeah. put on slacks and a shirt. And I came the next day. And I didn't know the kid Phil was, it was me versus him. Because it was only me. They were only calling me. Maybe they had him come at a different time of the day. Right, They right. didn't want us to cross paths. That would have been a de I, very different movie. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So now I'm in there and like we're in his screening room. And they have reading that screen test for the whole movie. So they got everybody coming in. And, uh, then he comes up to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Phil Gambarino. I'm reading for Collodra also. I'm like, what? You know, like, what are you talking about this? Right, exactly. So I'm still my father, you know, so I'm like, ah, now like I know something, he's got to be good to have gotten to this point. Yeah. So, you know, all day it was everybody else and then it was me versus him and, uh, you know, and what I'm about to say, this was in the, uh, this was in the documentary and I'll never forget it. The scene when Sonny, remember he slaps the crap out of me? He mm -hmm. said, what did you, where did you go with my car? Right. He does the scene first, okay? And me and my father, my, you know, we're outside the room. The doors are closed. They got lights and cameras. You know, they got a crew. It's like they're actually shooting. And we hear Chaz, you know, screaming, Sonny, right? And I, all you hear is Chaz slapping this kid. And you can hear it. <laughs> and you hear this kid crying, right? So eventually he comes out of the room and... He was like disheveled. His shirt was like, you know, his shirt was ripped and his hair was all messed up and he had, his face was red and he, he was like crying and he walked by me and said, good luck, bro. And he just walked by, right? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, like, like a shot bed on the I'm thinking yeah. like, you know, this is a beautiful thing. I'm yeah, going to yeah. read for a movie. I might get a part. Yeah. I didn't, you know, like, now I'm thinking I'm going to go in there. They're going to like really beat me up. Yeah. And I remember I went in there and I did it. They didn't put their hand on me one time. Really? They did not put their hand on me one time. And I remember I asked De Niro when I had the chance and it came to mind. I said, hey, Bob, I said, you know, remember when you guys were doing the screen test and, you know, the whole thing, you know, like I remember you like listening through the door, like you guys really beat Phil up. But then when I, you know, I thought I was, then when I came in, you know, you guys, you didn't, you didn't put your hands on me. I said, why? He said, we didn't have to put our hands on you. You gave us what we wanted without us having to do that. And that was like the ultimate compliment. Of course, you know, from man. Robert De Niro. The way yeah. he explained it. And I'm, I'm just like and looking at him like, oh. That's priceless right, right yeah. there. And this was, correct me if I'm wrong, De Niro's directorial debut. Right. Right? Right. I don't even know if he directed another movie other than this. He did. He did, did The did. Good Shepherd. That's right. He did The Good Shepherd. That's yeah, right. He did with, but this uh, was definitely his first. Right. This, this was, was definitely first. first. Yes. So you knew he was putting hard his, his heart and soul and, and, and it was um, a big passion project. So you got the call. They called you and you said, hey, you got the part. Yeah, it was uh, it, that was Thursday. They had me sweated out the whole weekend. And then I go Monday. And I remember I was there with my dad and De Niro brings me in. And, you know, uh, you know, he's the like, same thing. He's looking at me. He's making faces. But he's not saying anything. But then he said, you know, we watch what you did. And that was very ambiguous. Could, it could have been like, but we like Phil just because he's right. got a little more experience. He could, you know, he's, well, he says, you know, we liked what you did. We saw the tapes. And, well, you got the part, you know. And I remember I, told him, I went outside, told my father he was down there. He went like that. 
and uh, called my mother. It was, you know, a very exciting time in my life. Yeah, so it's a very imagine, exciting time in my life. Because you're going to regular school at this point, right? Yeah, well, I was on summer vacation, but yeah. I had just finished 10th grade. So you just finished 10th grade. Right, right. Did you, when you shot, were you still going to school? Did you have to go to school on the set? Uh, you know how yes, sometimes they was, make you go yeah, to school? it was called on-location education. Right. Because by law. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on-location education. By law, because I yeah. was under 18. Right, three hours a day at least, mandatory. right? Mandatory. Right. That, uh, you know, I mean, it's important. Education, right. I mean, you know. Of course, you don't, no, of course. You don't it think so, like you got to do it. And how long was the shoot? How long did you guys do? How long did the whole movie shoot take? I remember? I remember. It took about four and a half months. For wow, that long, yeah. huh? I mean, De Niro really, I mean, that was his baby. I mean, yeah, you know, we, were doing, we were doing a scene a day. Sometimes a scene in two days. I mean, De Niro shot the crap out of that movie. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, you think it's standard. Being that was my first film and just seeing the way the whole process I mean, or actually I should say his process in the way he went about doing it, you right. would think that's standard. Right. But then working on other films after that, it was like much, it was like, you know, like they knew, like, you know, not to discredit Robert De Niro, like no, I would do no. the same thing. If this is the first time I'm directing, I want as much footage right. as possible. And they all want him to succeed. I'm going to put a camera in your nose. Maybe right, maybe, exactly, you know? exactly. Well, so, well, it paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was brilliant. You know, yeah. the editor must have hated it, but. Yeah, uh, can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> that's you know, right. But, uh, so, uh, and a lot of, you know, what we just spoke about, the whole, you know, how I just explained the whole part, getting the part, it's in, in my documentary. Which I, which I want to get to in a second, but, but Lee, okay, so you shoot the film, it comes out. How does your life change once it does? I mean, you know, this is when we had answering machines, right. you know, like before the, you know, like before the movie came out, like I'd have one or two messages, like I'd go out for a few hours. And, you know, you'd come back and you have 62 messages. Yeah. You know, like seriously, like overnight it changed. It was like. Did you go back to that regular school? Um, I did eventually. I went back to a Roosevelt High School, but then I just, I dropped out. It was a big mistake. You know, How'd I, they treat you? Well, they knew that I did a film, but I don't think it really hit everybody until the film was actually released. Right. And that's when it really, but. I mean, And then but, were they cool with you or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some jealousy. There's some animosity. Sure, sure of course. Especially from the kids who are actually from that neighborhood in the Bronx. Right. Because they wanted it to be one of them. I'm not even from the Bronx. I'm from Yonkers, which right. is right But it's not like door. you're coming from Arizona or something. Right. I mean, you're right. But, <laughs> but you know, like those kids from that neighborhood, we, we fought them. We really? Fused, like, we used to fight them. And I'm not going to lie. These were some of the toughest kids around. We fought and it was like like a movie. We fought them under the Queensboro Bridge one night. You know the strip club scores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. me, my brother, my friend Tommy, and my cousin Joey over against four of them over just a little longer because they hated me. These kids. Wow, that's ironic. They beat us. They beat us. Yeah, so, yeah, they, well, so they us up. So they took it personal. So then, okay, wow, that's interesting. So then, so then you you did you drop out, transfer? What happened? I just dropped out and I yeah. you know pursued an acting career. And that's you know that's you know when you're out every night and women and drugs and all that started to come into play. Well, how did it, okay so. You're living in New York. Did you stay in New York or did you come out to L.A.? No, I would come out here just to, you know, when, when it was necessary, you know, pilot season. Right. You know, different. So you, you know, pretty much stayed there. I pretty much stayed I there. I remember when I saw the movie and I actually saw it um, in the theater because it was met with some controversy initially. There was about two or three black couples that he says this motherfucker, you know, and he said yeah. one more time, I'm leaving. And then they got up and they left. Right. In the middle of the film, I was like, whoa, I'll never forget that when I was when I was watching the when I was watching the film. But the, the irony on. Um, 
And the film was the message that De Niro was trying as far as love being colorblind and, of course, wasted talent, which, of course, I want to get to in your project. But I remember it was met with controversy, but it was so raw and it was so real and the character so rich and the story so timeless that even till this day, it's a classic. And now it's a Broadway hit musical right. and it continues to live on right. and on and reach another generation. Yeah, and the film itself has gotten a resurgence exactly. as a result of it. And, yeah. it, and it's gotten a resurgence exactly because of the play, because of the guy. What, it, what do you think about all that, man? The fact that it still resonates and touches so many people to this day and, and, and continues to be uh, really such a phenomenon. I mean, I think, you know, it's such a, a blessing to have been part of something so special that 25 years later still lives on. Wow, 25 years. You know, I just have been yeah. given the opportunity yeah. by Robert De Niro, Chaz Palminteri to, you know, be part of that, you know? How was Chaz? Because this is obvious to talk about his, it was his baby too. He was, right. was a one-man play. Well, it's his life. It's he's, his life. It's just, it's exactly, it's literally, yeah, it's his life. I know De Niro was passionate about it because it was his first time directing, but Chaz, it was literally his life and he got to uh, take it from a one-man play to now he's got Robert De Niro directing right. his a major motion picture. How was he with you during this whole process? At that point in time, it was like I had three fathers, my own father and yeah. then De Niro and Chaz. Yeah. They mentored me and, you know, Chaz, I remember, you know, he would tell me if you behave and he took me out shopping to the Gap and stuff like that. He was, you know, he was a good guy. We said he took me to the limelight, the club. Yeah, yeah. Back, you know, because he yeah, worked. That was the Catholic church. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was a bouncer there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. And that's the, right. The guy, He's a big guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chaz, Chaz was a bouncer there and the owner of the, the, the club. He also owned Club USA, Palladium. What else? Tunnel. Yeah. Tony worked for him. Tony worked okay. for him back in the day. Yeah, that was a, that was uh, a spot. Peter, I remember Peter that. Gation. Peter Gation is the executive producer on the Bronx Tale. You, his name's on the wow. movie. Wow! Look at that. <clears throat> Peter Gation was a, a Canadian guy. He uh, used to wear a patch on his eye. I don't know. I remember he had some kind of lawsuit because he, he he was a hockey player and he got hurt. I think a puck hit his eye and he had some lawsuit. And he was he was unbelievable with the nightclubs. There was no one like him. He had a club in in Canada. Am I right, Tone? It was called the Shark Club. Uh -huh. The dance floor was plexiglass and there were sharks swimming underneath. That's killer. Yeah. <laughs> That's hunt. next level. Yeah. <laughs> Mitigation was, you know, it was great at what he did and uh, he, he funded the, uh, the the Bronx. So they were great, you know, Chaz De Niro. So the, the, the movie ends, Lilo, and your life changes. When did the partying begin? Excuse me? The partying. When did oh, the partying? partying. Um, Immediately after or? Well, I, the first time I ever smoked pot was on the set of A Bronx Tale. Who um, exposed you to it? The kid who shot Sonny. He drove me home. They were supposed to have a car Your, your former... Uh, <laughs> the kid sabotage me. Yeah, yeah. Right. He'll see tomorrow. Really? He said, okay, you got yeah. that part, motherfucker? Got that, <laughs> yeah. You got that big scene tomorrow, right? Yeah, exactly. Try some of this. That's a true story, huh? The kid who's not okay. So he so, goes, oh, wow, so on the set. No, no, well, what happened was, I remember he had a Datsun 280ZX with the T-tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember the, the, one of the production says, she says, Lilo, we, you know, we called you a car service, but they, they can't be for, for at least another 20 minutes. But Phil Garbarino said he'll take you home. You mind go, Phil? I'm like, yeah, that's no problem. I like, you know, Phil's my friend. Let's go. So I remember we're in the car. <clears throat> he's got the two-seater, the Datsun. And I remember I'm just sitting there and he's driving. You're 16 now. Yes. It's like November. 1992, I just turned 16 in August. So I keep looking down, looking at his ashtray, and I see these little things. I have no clue. Because you can see a cigarette butt put out, but it wasn't that. It was something like, what are, what are those things yeah. in the ashtray? I want to know. You know? So I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I'm looking. I said, I said, yo, Phil, I said, what are those things in the ashtray? He goes, oh, they're roaches. 
But now I'm like really like a roach. I don't look like a roach, you know? So I'm like, and he's like, oh, then he caught on that. I know he saw He's like, oh. How old is he? Phil was like 21 at the time. Oh, okay. So he's a few year old. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he said, oh, it's, you know, like when you smoke, you know, smoke a joint. He goes, you know, that's what, that was what, what's left. He goes, why? You never smoked? I said, no. He goes, well, I have some. I remember he had the easy wires in his visor and he had like a, like a nickel bag. So he said, you want to try it? I said, I said, I said, yeah, all right. You know, let's do it. You know, so I Was remember, your old man pretty strict with you up until that point about oh, that? Oh, yeah, or? yeah. Well, you know, they were strict, but there was not much talk about it because he didn't know about that kind of right, stuff. Right, got it. What yeah. do they know? They came, came from Sicily. Right, right, right. Got you it. You know, everything to him was a dope. You smoke a dope? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like you smoke pot. It's like, what did you do? Right, you know what right, I mean? It's like right. you had a needle in your arm, you know? Right. So, so yeah, we smoked. And I remember I didn't get high that first time. I thought I did. I remember we went into the park and we're in the Bronx now. We're in Van Cortland Park. We jumped the fence and, you know, I remember he had a broken bottle and had a knife and we're just walking around because it was dark in the park. Yeah. It was like a pool. Yeah. And he's, he's all stoned. He's telling me stories about when he was a lifeguard, when he was, you know, you know, oh, yeah, a couple summers ago I was a lifeguard here and he's telling me stories. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm thinking I'm high, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not because I remember, yeah, because I didn't know what to feel. Sure, right. So exactly. now, but then we smoked a couple of days later. And he gave I, you another ride, no, or he just hit you up? No, no, somebody because we all had apartments set up on the set. Like we actually rented an apartment. I had the biggest one because I was the lead, you know, yeah, yeah, lead actor. Yeah. So this is where I used to do my tutoring, my on-location education. Okay. Come in again. So I go into things. I would let the guys use my apartment. So I go in the thing. You got all my friends from the movie and stuff. So I go in the room and I smell weed. And they had, they, they were like, oh, no, no, it's just Lilo. It's just Lilo, right? So they, they lift up the carpet, and they got the joint under there. They had a blunt now. So I'm thinking, I, now I'm like a seasoned veteran. I smoked the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, you know. I said, yeah, I smoke. Yeah, yeah, I smoke. And I'm over, I took a couple hits now to blunt. You felt that? Right, yeah. I remember I had a piece of gum in my mouth. It felt, <laughs> there's no saliva left. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. So now I got to go do the scene. Is it better to be loved or feared? And I don't say anything in that Ooh. scene. That's all Chaz. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's the only line I had to say. Yeah, you sitting down in the restaurant. Yeah, I'm like, this. <laughs> better to be loved or feared. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing I had to say. And, and, and I, I kind of forgot. Like, I didn't know. And I was like, why? Well, I, I mean, listen, it's funny now to look back, but, you know, to have been given that opportunity yeah, until yeah, I yeah. do that kind of shit, it's like not cool. Did Chaz I'm notice? Like, they say now that they did, I'm sure they had to know something was off. I yeah. mean, I'm with them every single day. Right, right. You know, 12, 13 hours right. a day. All of a sudden, you're a little extra yeah, chilled so, out. And, it's, and I'm remembering like my like paragraphs of you know dialogue, and then I can't remember. Is it better to be loved or feared? Yeah. You know, something's a little off. So, okay. So, now, are, are you? did you uh, start just kind of smoking out with those guys regularly? Was it more of a like, camaraderie thing? I actually liked it. Well, in the beginning, you know, it was kind of overwhelming because I remember I smoked a little bit more. So I said, you know what? Next time I do, I'm going to do a little bit less. So now I'm smoking like guys I knew from home. And, uh, you know, then it was like an everyday thing. You know, we're going to cop weed in the Bronx and, you know, it was dirt, dirt weed. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Seeds and garbage. When I came out here, I seen it was like, you know, the chronic. You know, when I first right, came right. out, I'm like, wow, this is weird. Yeah. Welcome not, to California. I was high for like eight hours off two hits. You know? yeah. My father was like, what the hell is the matter with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know, hey, I mean, it's legal here now. Obviously, the, it, the perceptions are completely different. How did you? I'm not, I'm not trying to. Mis I'm not trying to say I'm an advocate for it. No, no, no. I'm but anti. You know what I mean? No, I, there's medicinal purposes. But, I'm, I'm saying. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that's yeah. why it's legal. But how did you graduate, if you will, <laughs> from that to harder substances? What happened? What, what happened there? You know, then I started coming out here, and you know, I see these like big parties in the hills, and you got like five million dollar home in the hills. 
And the guy who owns the house, he's like sniffing coke. And I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. Look at this the house that this guy's got. So I'm like, all right, I'll try that. You know, I start trying that. And it just, you know, you never, you never think it's going to, you know, result in, you know, like being a stone cold junkie. Right. You think it's going to be recreation, have some fun. You got the women around. and But I guess, you know, I was one of those people that, you know, uh, I was one of those people that had, a, you know, was going to be really affected in a bad way by it. You know, some people, some people do it, you know, they can do coke and go to sleep and not think about it for months. Like I'm the type of guy when I did it, like I'd be up for days until like yeah. I couldn't get more money and just keep going and going. And so, then, you know. So was it a, it was a, a, a matter of just kind of being exposed to it and like, okay, why not? Like a recreational thing at first, right? right. Like they're doing it. This is part of the business. I guess it comes with the territory. Might as well fit in. Was yeah, that some was sort of the attitude? Yeah, doing it with some and, of my friends. You know, but then I see like, you know, as we got older, guys are like settling down, girlfriends looking to get married and yeah. it's like a Tuesday night and I'm like, got a gram of Coke on my yearbook under my bed and I'm sniffing lines watching TV on a Tuesday. Then yeah. I realized, you know, this is a little more than I thought. This is a little more of a yeah. problem than I thought. So your circle of friends that you grew up with, they're not partying with you really. Did you lose, did you lose those guys as, as friends really because of that? No, I didn't really lose them, but the friendship became a little different. It became a little different where they, you know what I mean? Got it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess all of that had to happen for me to be where I am, you know, today. So when did it, how did it go from recreational to where it really became like the top priority of your life? Was there a pivotal moment and, or was it just, you woke up one day and, and, and it just sort of was? I, w I would say, well, I hurt my head with a scar back here. I, uh, one night, you know, cocaine psychosis is when you start getting paranoid and I did so much that my body used to react in a way where I would get, you know, like hallucinations and think people are in my wall and just like really, really. So it went from recreational, you were, you were seeking it out. It wasn't just, you yeah, saw so it now it became and... like insane. I mean, he's, he's seen me before. Now you got a dealer I, and the whole I, yeah, deal. I can't even talk. Like when I, right. on it, I was like, so I was in this car with my friends and I thought these guys were going to kill me. And I remember I, I got, you know, cause I was so paranoid. These guys are friends. They would never do that. But this drug makes your mind that, you know, insane. And I remember we were driving in the car doing like 60 miles an hour. And I said, you know, I got to get out of this car. These guys are going to kill me. So I opened the door and I just jumped out. You jumped out of the moving car. Yeah. And I cracked my head open and destroyed my whole back and everything. And uh, where was this at? This was in Queens. This was right before the Subway Series 2000. Yeah. And then that's when it became ever because then I got prescribed the, the narcotic pain medication. That's mm -hmm. when I discovered that. The cocaine was like a weekend thing, you know, sometimes during the week, but the narcotic pain medication, because you could get, the doctor gives it to you. So how bad could it really be? So you don't know. And then I'm taking them and I love them. And like cocaine, there's a come down. These pills, there was like no come down. I sleep good. The next day I'm fine. Yeah. So I love them. And I'm just like doing them every single day. Then it's like when I didn't, like when I didn't have it, I realized like something was wrong. I couldn't sleep. I started sweating. Like something was wrong. I felt like I had the flu. So then right. I realized, wow, I'm addicted to these pills. And I didn't really do anything about it because I didn't have experience. So I figured one day it would just go away. And it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And it just got worse and worse. Were you, because I, I, after the Bronx Tale, I remember um, I saw you in uh, the movie with the. Um, uh, Renaissance uh, Man, the Army. Renaissance Man, thank right. you. Yes, the, the, the movie with the Army. Mark Wahlberg was in yes, that, right? And, yes. all that. And, uh, and then, of course, on The Sopranos. So you continue to work. Right. You continue to work. Was it, do you feel that 
you obviously weren't as focused. Did you think you could balance it while still partying? You were fine? You know, I'm, I'm good. I thought or- I could balance it, but I could have, I squandered so many opportunities. Times I didn't wake up for like, you know, auditions. I, I, you know, I had one for, you know, Saving Private Ryan. Steven Spielberg was in New York only for like, you know, a few days. And I told her, oh, I can't go. I'm not feeling well. My manager's like, what? Steven Spielberg's like, what are you, nuts? Yeah. You know, I'll just see him when I go out to LA. I'll catch him on a rebound. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But this is the way you think, man. It's not cool. It's not. Yeah. Like, right now, like, I'm so focused. I mean, you know, whatever Steven Spielberg. Like, if I had the chance to meet Steven Spielberg, yeah. I would walk to Manhattan from Yonkers yeah. if I had to. If I had no other means of right. transfer, I would walk there the night before and I'd be there on time. Which is ironic, um, incredibly ironic, because... The major theme in in the movie Bronx Tale was about wasted talent, wasted right. opportunities, and you got this incredible opportunity, like this God given, perfect scenario with with uh, Chaz and and De Niro taking you under the wing, and somehow falling prey to the the Hollywood sort of lifestyle, which is incredibly alluring, man. And it's hard. It's hard. You're young, very seductive. You know, you get this fame, you get you get money quick, and a lot of girls. It's it's tough. It's tough, man. And it got away from you, right? So you got to the point to fast forward. None of that ever dawned on you during the part. You, you just think as a young kid, you feel invincible and you, you still got it under control. Right, you do. And you know, that's one thing I respect you very much for and tip my hat off to you because you had, you know, you and have still success, but you had it early on. No, you, well, thank probably you. Younger than I was with, you know, say by the bell and stuff like yeah. that. And you could have easily went that way. But you didn't, and it takes a very strong person. So, like I said, my hat's off to you. Well, thank you, man. Because I, I know um, I know about t- temptation a lot, too. And for there's a lot of things I would have done for a lot of girls that if they would have asked, you know. Fortunately, <laughs> yeah. they never asked her anything. But, yeah. but, but I get it. And so, you know, I, and I don't think people realize that it's, until you've been in that position, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to judge. And so, okay, Lilo, fast forward a little bit. So now you jumped out of this car. <laughs> this moving card could have died, but you didn't. And you got uh, addicted to what was it again? Uh, hydro- Vicodin. Okay, Vicodin, essentially. And then how did that transition into uh, heroin, right? Well, because those those pills- They run out. Lot, well, they became a lot harder to get. Right. People committing crimes over these pills and this whole opioid epidemic started. Right. So now it's like you need a triplicate prescription. And Which more is a go- crisis in this right. country. It's more, yeah. It was more government regulated. Right. So you just couldn't get them. Yeah. The way you were. And it's like, when you're an addict, you need him every single day. Right. So then someone told me, listen, man, why don't you just start snorting dope? It's the same thing. It's it's an opiate. And, you, you know, you just come to the spot. And I used to have this kid, Mike used to get it for me when he used to come home from work. And you remember Mike McHugh, tall kid? He used to get it for me. And then I found my own spot. And then I was off and running, smoking crack and sniffing heroin. It's like an everyday thing. And then, you know, I got, you know, then I got in trouble. That gets expensive too, doesn't it? Of course it does. So course, the- I had some money saved up. I... That blew a lot of money, man. A See, lot of money. That's a thing, too. Yeah, a lot, blew a lot, lot of, of money. money over, you know. And and you talked about it, and then you, and then you got in trouble. So the, the day you got in trouble, you got you 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 ended up um, uh, resorting to burglary, right? Yes. Had you prior to that one incident, had you been ripping off other places? Um, no. So that was really like one of the first times. Yeah, one of the first. You know, I mean, did other things. And that know, was your girl. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was your girlfriend's father. Father. And, I, you know, she left me. She was looking to take her MCATs to get into medical school. Yeah. She was very focused, Italian girl. Um, and she didn't want to be with me anymore because, I, you know, my life spiraled out of control. And she just, did, she tried to help me a million times. Yeah. And eventually she said, you know, I can't be with you anymore. I'm trying to get into, you know, medical school and I can't have this distraction. So 
She like you know broke up with me. I was heartbroken over this. It right. just made my addiction get a thousand times worse. But you stayed close with the old man. Well, he was the loophole. He was every time I went there, she would call the cops. So I said, ah, you know what? If I become friends with her father, when she I go there, she can't say anything because I'll say, no, 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 I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see your dad, but I'm really there to see her. But at least if I got a few minutes just to talk to her. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, how you doing? You all right? You know, and this and that. But then you hang out with the father. And this guy was a bad guy. He was an alcoholic, stone cold. He was a street guy, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'd been away a few times already. So we started hanging out. And, uh, you know, we went to the, you know, uh, rip off that house that night. I did not know he was armed. Nobody believes that. But it's not, this guy was an old, he's not a young kid. Like, oh, look at my gun. He was a grown man. Yeah, he grown must have had the gun before, yeah. but never had to use it, so it didn't come out. He's a grown-ass man. Right. right. So, you know, we went there that night and broke the glass. And as I'm walking away, I hear a male voice say, you know, unfamiliar voice say, don't move. I turned around because, I mean, that's a natural reaction. Sure. And I got shot. I got shot a few times in my, uh, in my abdomen. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. I see blood squirting out of my stomach and I'm walking away, trying to get out of there. I don't have a gun. So then I hear more gunshots, and then I hear a loud boom. And I'm walking down the sidewalk, like, you know, like fighting for my life at this point. And I hear this, this, this gunfight. I hear it, don't see it. And then later on, you know, like then the cops come. Then they so fight. you didn't even have a gun? No, I didn't have a gun. Yeah. So then it was like, you know, uh, turns out the guy that Steven had gotten to the gunfight with was an off-duty New York City police officer. Uh, his name was Daniel Enchaltegui. May he rest in peace. Um, you know, kid was doing what anybody would do. Did he live in the building? He lived, no, it was two private homes. He lived in the house next door, which my ex, ex-girlfriend lived there, a little kid from the Bronx Tale who played me. That's where his sister was my first love. He lived in the basement apartment, this cop. He rented from whoever the new owner was. I used Whoa. to do the laundry with this girl downstairs in that basement. And just to think, we're like doing laundry in the early 90s and just to think... No Hollywood writer in the world would ever be able to come up with a story like what that. What the hell are the odds on that? You know, then like, this Damn. is going to happen. This guy's going to live here and this is going to happen. It's going to change your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, 12, 13 years later. So then, you know, uh, it turns out he was a cop. We both got arrested, charged with murder. Um, you know, I spent three years in jail. I got sober. I was I overdosed my first year, but then I got sober. I decided I don't want to get high anymore. You got yeah, you 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 OD'd in jail. So right. Obviously, right. still getting the drugs in there. Right. So right. that was 2006, 2007, 2008. I cleaned up, you know, cleaned up my act. Focused on learning the law, helping my lawyer, and eventually I went to trial in 2008. Um, I was acquitted of everything, uh, with the exception of a uh, an attempted burglary right. in the first degree, serious physical injury with a non-participant. I went and got sentenced. Uh, and ironically enough, and coincident, today is 10 years, 10 wow. years ago today. Look at that. That time just flew by. <laughs> yeah. I remember that vividly. And then he, um, the your buddy's name, the, the father. Steve, Steven Armento. Armento he's still locked up. Didn't yeah, he get, he got, he got, he got, life, he got right? a murder one conviction. That's natural life without the so possibility of parole. He's sitting down yeah, there he's, for a while. He's, no, he's gone. He's gone. Um, how much time did you end up doing? Three years, did you say? Well, altogether, I did eight, eight years. Eight years. I was supposed to do eight and a half, which would have been 85%, which right. is what you do for a violent crime. Right. But I got my degree that I paid for out of my own pocket. I got my GED first, and then I got my, uh, I, you know, a male correspondence accredited school in yeah. Georgia, Ashworth College. I used to get the material sent to me, and I earned an associate's degree. Good for you. And as a result of that degree, I was uh, given uh, a, a six-month time cut. So I came home instead of July 1st, 2014, I came home. January 1st. Well, that was the day. And that was the day I was adopted. That was my yeah. first day, but that's a holiday. So there's no movement on a holiday. So I came home New Year's Eve. Got it. I just got off parole. I just did 
Five, five years. Just got off last week. Just got last week. Yeah. Congrats. So, well, you know, whatever it was. The, so, I know it's like, you know, like I'm okay. Wow, on. man. So, that's a real uh, chap. Where'd you do your time at? Well, first, the first three years was in Rikers Island, which is jail when pending trial. Right. Fighting the case. Were you in GP? Were you? Well, yeah, there I was. Well, I was actually what you call CMC, Central Monitored Case, because my, my, you know, the reason why I was at subjects case receives extensive media coverage. But I was with some like, you know, other guys that were involved in cop killings and like real serious guys. When I went upstate, when I went to prison, then I was IPC, involuntary protective custody. I was with guys like Plexigo Burris yeah. from the New York Giants. Right, when he shot himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was with Plexigo, I was with <laughs> right. Ja Rule. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was guys so, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The VIP. Yeah, so with those guys. Um, were most of the guys in there, did they did they uh, mess with you? Or were they pretty, No, everybody was cool. Everybody was pretty yeah, cool? Yeah, it's like, it's like you, when you go, it's like almost like a, like a clean slate. Yeah. You start with a clean slate, and it's based right. on how you act there and the things you do there is going to determine how your time, you know, how you're going to do your time. And you got clarity in there, right? Absolutely. Did you find spirituality at all? Um. I found God. I, I became a lot closer to God because just the way things unfolded. Right. So, Look at that. Yeah. So you're meant to stick around. Yeah. So, you know, and, and now I, I, I see the plan. I recognize it. And I know God didn't do all this for me, for me to come out here and do, you know, uh, stupid things and make bad decisions like I once did. And, uh, you know, I try to uh, use my experience to try to help other people that are, you know, struggling as we speak. You've been clean how long now? 12 years, November 6th. Yeah, 12 years. Good for you, man. Yeah. Congratulations. No drinking. Nothing. No, no, nothing. That's, that's, that's a drug also. People, oh, I'm sober. I only drink. Then you're not sober. Right, right. If you I smoke, if I drank right now, if I had a glass of wine, I'd be smoking crack by, you know, six Well, that's tonight. what I was, that's what I was just going to ask you. Is, is there, so there's really not, I was going to say healthy balance, but there's really not like a, uh, a, a, a casual social kind of aspect. It's yeah. either, it's 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 either it can it when goes from one when extreme. When you're to, wired the way I am, right, you can't have anything that alters your mind. Nothing. I I don't even want to smoke cigarettes. I don't even want to smoke cigars. I went to a, a Christmas party for this company. I were I didn't want to smoke a cigar because right. that may give me that little lightheaded feeling, or it may alter my mind in the slightest. And you know, we're you know, like I don't want to call. I don't like calling it a disease. I don't know if it's a disease. Yeah, I get you. When you're in the grips of the addiction, I mean, it's much more than just yes or no. Right. But you know, like when you're, you know, like I got to label myself having a disease 12 years later when I'm not in the grips of the addiction and you got those, you know, like narcotics anonymous. I don't believe in those principles. You know, you got guys 15 years old. I'm still, what do you, how are you struggling? Yeah. Can't you see how much better your life has become? I love you. I was just talking about this earlier. I said, Bro, cancer is a damn disease. I, I say that. I you, say you that again. Exactly. Cancer, you, they'll trade you <laughs> right. for your disease any day. Exactly. It's not a disease. That's it's so a fucking decision, man. Th that's so refreshing to hear. So yeah, refreshing. It's not a disease. By oh, the way, you I, look good, man. You look yeah. incredibly healthy. You yeah, guys are fucking coming in here with some pipes. Like, uh, you know what I mean? You're all healthy. So you, yeah. you look good. Yeah, you look good. You feel good. Yeah, yeah. Everything's good. So twelve years—that that's significant, man. That's yeah, significant. Brother. So clearly, you you made a a, a very uh, a strong, a strong uh, choice, smart choice, obviously, um, to get clean and to stay clean. How were you going to go about approaching the rest of your life psychologically, mentally? What was the game plan? How did the parents react? What was going on? Do you mean how am I going to approach the rest of my life as far as staying sober? From for just for staying sober, what do I want to do with my life? What how what's my new attitude? Because I can. I imagine that can that can be a tough pill to swallow as well. Like now, well, I got to go about the rest of it. Well, right now, you know, uh, uh, I work for this company called Amateurs Health, which is a, a dual diagnosis mental health and drug and alcohol treatment. Yeah. Um, 
And you know what I do is I, I, I do national outreach where I outreach through my Instagram. I post addiction related stuff and you'd be surprised how many people out there are struggling. And I'm not afraid to give someone my phone number or, you know, video chat with them. And you got grown men and women crying to me, you know, Lilo, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, and I have no problem, you know, like, and I'm a no nonsense guy. I don't sugarcoat anything. Good for you. I basically tell them this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. Right. Like what I'm telling and basically, you know, we try to get them treatment, but you know, unfortunately, you know, such an ugly part of the business. It's all comes down to, you know, it's the dreaded question. You know, you've got some guys down on his knees telling you he needs help and he's all messed up. And, it's, and then it's like, uh, what, do you, what do you do for a living? Uh, what kind of insurance do you have? Mm. That's like the worst question. I hate asking that question, but unfortunately, yeah. you can't get the help. If You know what I mean? It's, right. I tell them, listen, if I can't help you this way, if I can't get you the treatment because you don't have private insurance, you can call me every single day. And I have people that do call me every single, and I'll show you, you know, uh, direct message of, you know, people, Lilo, thank you so much. You saved my son because of my son, because of you, he's six months over. But, you know, that's not, that doesn't always happen mm -hmm. because then you'll get some ladies say, hey, my name is Vanessa. You remember my son, Billy from Staten Island? Well, I just want you to know, thank you for everything, but Billy just overdosed and he's dead. You know, like that happens. That's a yeah. you know, very ugly reality of it. But, you know, in, in, I'm learning the, the ins and outs of, of the business and, uh, you know, within about five years, I'd like to have my own uh, dual diagnosis, something very similar to Amitas Health. That's great, man. I mean, Good you know, you. it's, it's, I mean, you know, listen, it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, this, when I'm able, like when I hear these people tell me like, hey, you know, Lilo, thank you, bro. You saved my life or my husband, you know, Lilo, because of you, my husband's sober. You gave me back my life. My kids are much happier and stuff like this. Every time I hear something like that, it provides me with that extra layer of strength. It makes me that much stronger because I know that person's right. counting on me now. Right. Cause if I fall, he may fall. I said, well, he fell. Well, I'm going to have a drink. So just, you know what I mean? Do you, um, still want to pursue acting in I do. business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, my friend Victor here, Anthony, we were just, we just did a final edit on his film. He wrote, directed, and, uh, it's awesome. It looks like a hundred million dollar movie. It's called the fury. It's okay. going to be out later on this year. Okay. And controversially enough, I play a member of law enforcement in this. Tony plays El Diablo. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's a really, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's a great story. It's shot so well. I mean, this guy should be so proud of himself. We we're very proud of him. I mean, it's just to have been, I mean, yeah. someone, you know, who I've I'm so thankful to have worked for, but just so I'm proud to call my friend. Right. You know, these are guys that, I mean, this guy I've known for a hundred years. This guy I feel like I've known for a hundred years and you are the company you keep. Right. I'm trying to keep good guys around me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I so got, those are the two focuses. Those right. are the two, those are the two passions. Um, you single still, you married? What about personally? Right now, you know, I am single, you know, um, because it, any kids? No, no kids that I know of, but no kids. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you've always been grounded, so, you know, you've knew where you wanted to be. Right now, I'm trying to get back, and I just think that, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's tough for me sometimes. Sometimes it can be easy, but sometimes it could be, you know, you know, after, I mean, listen, I didn't come home, you know, a war hero. You know what I mean? Right. I came home from prison, and another human being lost their life, and it's something that I take full responsibility for, how my addiction, my bad decision-making Definitely made a contribution in, in, in the death of that heroic police police officer. 
something that I live with every day and I, I, I hope to, and I wish I could change the outcome, but I can't. So now I live, you know, just to make the decisions in the future better. Right. And help you know, other people and, right. and maybe and change their lives. Right. You right. know, I love to act, you know, and we plan on doing, you know, so many, but like, I mean, it's, uh, I w- I'd be lying to you if I told you, it, you know, it's become more difficult where things were a lot easier for me. But, you know, back then I, the work that I didn't do back then, I'm doing now. It's like everything was the reverse, but yeah. I embrace it because I have my freedom, yeah. have my health. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, and also, you know, the, you know, I'd like to talk about the documentary yes, as well. That was it's, called, my- it's called Wasted Talent. You know, the whole theme of the Bronx tale. Got it. Um, directed by Steven Stanulis, who was a former member of law enforcement. And, you know, I had been approached to do the documentary numerous times. Um, but then when Steve approached me and said that, you know, he was a, you know, former member of, of the, you know, the NYPD, I said, wow, what an interesting dynamic, you mm-hmm. know, this, cause then you don't want the, the last thing you want in this situation is for this to be perceived as a puff piece. Like, ah, this guy made a documentary to, you know, for he's a jolly good fellow, as you call it, you know? But then when Steve told me his, you know, about his law enforcement background, I said, this could be interesting. Um, because I, I just hear stories and I just know of the opioid epidemic and just where it's at right now. It's at an all time high and kids right. are dying every single day. And I thought there's no better time to do it than, than right now. Good for you. You know, and Look, I wanted to do it. I thought out. it was, you know, the right, uh, yeah. the right formula with Steve and I. Right. And, uh, you know, we did it and, uh, I like it very much. I don't know if you've got a chance to see I'm it. I'm going to be sure to, to check it out. Where can, fair. Pe- where can people find it? Where can people check it out? Um, you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, right. Google Play, Vudu, Fandango Now, Verizon Fios. It's pretty much, it's it's out there. Wasted Talent. Wasted Talent. Is the name of the documentary. And it's, uh, you know, it's a must-see for just any kid, you know, growing up. Because you can see how I had, you know, the world, you know, at my feet and... I decided to, you know, use and abuse drugs and how everything came crashing down. And that can happen to anyone. It's very important. Absolutely. Anyone. It's very, but it's, 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 it's not, like I said, it's not a puff piece. Sure. You literally have cops in there calling me a piece of shit and a scumbag and I should have gotten the, the electric chair. So you've got, you know, it's very fair and balanced. And, uh, you know, I think, I think you'll enjoy it. I look forward to checking it out. Have you spoken or seen De Niro or Chaz? Since I haven't been out, I haven't seen Chaz, um, but I did a Woody Allen film called Wonder Wheel. It was was a cameo, Justin Timberlake, Kate Winslet. And I remember, you know, I I shaved my head because I don't have a head of hair like that, or I didn't have a head of hair (laughs) like that, right? So I remember I went to audition for the film, and I remember, uh, you know, I auditioned for the film. The lady, the, the casting lady, Patricia DeSerto. She called me back after the audition. She says, Lilo, she said, Woody Allen liked you very much. He loved your voice. She said, uh, but would you be willing to wear a hairpiece? She said. And I said, yeah. I said, I'll do whatever you want your hairpiece. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> you can take my thumb. Maybe you want to say, it's only a hairpiece? So I said, yeah, absolutely. So now the guy who did my hair, the hairpiece, it was like a wig, man. It was like a $12,000 wig. It was made in <laughs> London. Top now, it did more for the wig than I got paid. Yeah. <laughs> I was told about find my own wig. <laughs> Just give me the difference. You about know? a hat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, one of those period, you right, know, those forties right, right. hats. It worked just the same way. So, so the guy, you know, his name was Jerry Popolis, and he's De Niro's personal hair guy. And he came to my house because it was like a process. Yeah, they literally had put saran wrap on my head Damn. to measure the contours, the exact contours made with lines and measurements. It's real precise. 
I'll show you. I got a picture. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he came to, when I was with my ex-girlfriend, we were living on, in Yonkers on the Hudson River. They'd re- do like putting a luxury high rise and I was living down there with her. And he came to my house one day to try on a few different wigs. And uh, they were doing the Irishman. And he was working with Bob right near where that was. So I'm on my treadmill at like, you know, like seven in the morning and I get a direct message from Jerry and Jerry says, Hey Lilo, he says, we're going to be in your neighborhood today. He said, Bob would love to see you. He says, he's got a light day. He said, you know, come, come down. So I went down there and he's playing the Irish. He's playing Sheeran and Frank Sheeran was six foot four. Right. He's got these platforms, on. The platforms <laughs> on. Looking like Herman Munster. Yeah, he's got the platforms on. He's got the green contacts. He didn't know I was going to be there. So I'm with Jerry. I got the hat on, and we're just right there. And they do this. There was a scene with the guy, who, you know, Anthony Provenzano, Tony Pro. Yeah. Was his, and they do a scene. They, they I, Jerry gave me a little background. What have they killed the guy the night before, Mulberry Street, and uh, they're throwing the gun in the river because I told you the Hudson River's right there. So he goes and he throws the gun. He looks around. He's, he's walking. He's got his, you know, the walk the way he walks with yeah. the with the platforms. Yeah. And I, I mean, we would each other every single day, but now I haven't seen him in, since probably when they did the movie Heat. That was yeah. back in the like, mid-90s. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. I seen him, like, So it's yeah. like re-meeting him all over again. So he walks by me. He looked, and he looked, and then he did a double take. He comes over to me, he goes, hey. He goes, are you okay? Are you okay? Yes, wait, wait, say, are you okay? I said, yeah, Bob, I'm okay. And I said, and then we just started, he said, I, I, I know you, you reached out to my daughter, possibly for the, for the documentary. But then I didn't have the nerve to, I, I don't know, the guy did so much for me. I didn't want to see him like greedy. Hey, Bob, you want to be in my documentary? We're not going to pay you or anything. We might feed you, but, uh, you know, but I just never, I, I don't know. I didn't, sure, no, I get it. You know, yeah. I just, it's like, you know, I, I just didn't feel I was at a place where I was deserving. Like right. after yeah. what you did for me and right. I go and do that, and now for me to ask for something else, it just didn't look right or feel right. Right. I know maybe business-wise it could have helped me, but this was a moral decision. This was something sure. way bigger than that. Right. Especially this guy. He was just an, an icon. A guy who changed my life, gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. It was much more than just that. And I just never got around to it, but it was great to see him. And I got the text message. Jerry texted me right after. He said that Bob was very, very pleased to see you and to see that you turned your life around. So to me, like, listen... If he, if I was never in another film with him again, I'm okay. The Bronx Tale is like a, f- a film of a lifetime. That, that's his, he can only have a directorial debut one time. I was the kid, and I'm thankful enough. Like if I die, you know, I was in the Bronx Tale with Robert De Niro, my idol, since right. I was a little kid. You know what I mean? It's like of course, man. And just to see him after you know all those years, it was really nice. That it was is really nice. nice. And uh, I can't wait for the uh, Irishman. We were talking about it before. My yeah. prediction, I'm telling you, I think it's going to be better than The Godfather. Whoa, that's I really bold. Do. That's I'm bold right there, you, Leo. You that might be the craziest thing you've said the whole interview right there. <laughs> tell, why? Why is it crazy? No, you kidding. got Marty Scorsese, I'm I know, I'm I know, I know, I know. You got Marty Scorsese, you got no. Pesci and De Niro. You got all the ingredients. And now you got Pacino. You're throwing yeah. Al in the mix, oh. playing Jimmy Hoffa. I know. There's scenes. It's, it's not heat when they got one scene and they're never on camera together. It's, you know, it's close up. No, you know, I can't wait. Single, 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 wait. single. So you never see him on camera, but this is going to be... Alan Bobby. They're spend they're spending tons of they're spending I'm tons of money. This is gonna be magic. Yeah. That's it's great. gonna be magic. Man, I gotta tell you, I really appreciate you taking the time, coming and being so candid and and open with me. Um I'm rooting for you. Thank you. And uh 
I hope uh, you continue to impact lives and and uh, uh, continue to turn your life around and 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 get back on track, man. You are thank a cat. You. All these times, thank that, you. you know, and I don't. No, and thank I, you, Mary. And Appreciate I think if you weren't it. supposed to be here, then then and they didn't, wouldn't have happened. And and right. um, you know, you look good. Thank you, brother. Keep it up, brother. Keep appreciate keep healthy, it. and uh, really appreciate you uh, coming and sharing the before, story with before me. Before I go, can we just maybe have like two minutes just about a little boxing? Oh, go up. What's up? <laughs> These guys told me you had Triple G on the show. Yeah, a couple I've had times. A lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know you're Mexican, and I know you you Canelo fan. Sure, I like them both. You like them both? I like them both. I like okay, them both. I just want, I, just, I mean, obviously, Triple the G. First the fight, first fight, Triple G won eight fight, rounds to four. The first fight. I have the, I have the score in my, in I my was notes. My, right wife, my wife sang the <clears throat> national anthem for that fight. I was up there, up close and personal. I had Triple G winning that fight seven rounds to five. I got an eight to four. Fire enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. Could have gone, sure, no problem with that. The second fight, I have no problem with the draw. It was a draw. Yeah, I had no problem with the draw. Um... You know, may, there was a couple of close rounds maybe that could have gone either way. But if you if I had to call it, I would have said the first fight for me seven to five triple G. The second one a draw. You know, like I have no problem. Everybody with that. talks. About, I like this. So you're a big fight fan, obviously. I love I like it. it. Yeah. I love it, man. I love boxing. You know, everyone talks about how Canelo, you know, made triple. He backed them up. He did. I've never seen triple G back up. Yeah. Well, you know what? Him coming forward and being aggressive in the first fight, he paid for that. Canelo's the best. Oh, one of the best counter punches in the game right, right now. Right. You can't fight that guy like that. Right. And especially Triple G. He's 37. He's slow. Right. So you have to fight this way. Well, he didn't back him up. You could hit Triple G with a building in the guy. The guy's, you know. Never, never been down. Never, but neither is Canelo. Right. No, Canelo's actually been down early in his career. Yeah. But still, it was it. Yeah, but he was young. It was early in his career. But yeah, it, never, it was more of a flash shot down. Never. Never. Never, never touched the canvas. But no, Canelo's got a hell of a chin on him too. But yeah, he was backing Triple up. But he was, G, still, he was still powering with that jab. Yeah. Triple G's jab, really, that was the only punch he was able to land. And, and he, well, he hit him with a couple of uppercuts in the second right, fight. Right, the Later on. Later like the on. later rounds. Right. And, you know, it makes you think, man, you know, Triple G's 37, Canelo's in the prime. It right. makes you think of Triple G when he was 31, 32, yeah. what he would have did to Canelo. I know. He would have ran him over. They were smart He's, to avoid that. I know. Yeah, I mean, you know. Unbelievable. You are a fan. I like yeah, it, yeah. man. We have to come back and do our boxing podcast. You know? I got yeah, a boxing podcast that. too. I love that. One more time, Lilo, where can people uh, find you on, on social media and, and they can keep up with everything you got going on? Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's Lilo, L-I-L-L-O underscore Brancato, B-R-A-N-C-A-T-O. 